How fun is this? <laughs> oh, that fell off? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and now, let's begin a new class. <laughs> uh, okay. And immediately received his sight and followed him and gloried God. And all the people who saw it gave praise to God. Okay, so here's this great moment. Okay, they're now seeing it. Even if you were disdainful of Jesus of Nazareth, they've suddenly now seen for themselves uh, the transformation that's just occurred here. By the way, I do think it'd be interesting, even in the next couple of weeks, when they find out that he's, next week, he's, the next weekend, he's, he's crucified. Then we're not sure what happened to him. But this is just days away. But now you have every day walking around, who's the, who's the old sheep herder walking through town? Oh, that's, and, and Mark calls him Bartimus, which is kind of a dirty guy. Oh, that's the one. He was blind. Now we see what happened. Well, he was healed by Jesus, who came through here last week. He, he would walk around as a living witness of the Savior, of the healer. To the end of his days, he would be a living witness. Everywhere he goes. Okay, well, he's going to have a buddy. Uh, I think we've kind of talked about this. The Greek word sozo has powerful connotations. We commonly call Jesus Savior. Uh, yeah, let's, we can get back to that. Okay, now. He entered. Yeah. What's that? Yes, <laughs> I did. I will check one more time. Yes. Since I actually have been uploading this online and it goes up to the podcast, it does make a difference when people are saying, I didn't get my podcast for the week. So I try to make sure I do. Okay. He entered and then, and this is important, then he passes through Jericho. What just happened? He's not staying. He's not staying. He's going to pass through Jericho. So everybody that was waiting, we got the banquet waiting and everything, and, and here comes the entourage. By the way, he's not staying. He's going, to, he's going to continue on his way. Well, have you seen the wadi out there? That's, I know, but he's not, he's not staying with us. There would be palpable disappointment that this great man, especially the one that just performed this incredible miracle, is passing through Jericho and not staying. documentary where they have found Jericho and yeah. investigated the fallen walls and things like that. So I've always wondered, did they rebuild somewhere else? Is this a land called Jericho? Because they didn't rebuild it on top of Jericho. No, no, but the walls, you're right, but no, it's, it's still there in antiquity, same place. But but so, but what you get instead instead of if you look at the ancient city of Jericho, it was um, <coughs> they think 
It was built up on top. It was a walled city. So they always went up on top of a hill and then walled it over here. The Jericho that we're talking about at the time of the Savior, hundreds of years later, was actually down in the valley down here. They hadn't rebuilt it up on top. Oh, they rebuilt it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Within the same area, just not up on top of the mountain. Okay. Uh, okay, so he passes through Jericho. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. There's a lot of ways. The actual way to pronounce it is Zacchaeus. We won't, I'm not going to go through Zacchaeus. <laughs> you get that. <laughs> we just call him Zacchaeus. Especially on the mic. <laughs> yes, especially on the mic. <laughs> Who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So that tells us a couple of things. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the... Chief tax collector. Um, so a couple of things we need to know about Zacchaeus. One, and tax collectors in general, and most of this I think we pretty common knowledge, right? That when the Romans came in, uh, there was going to be various taxes assigned. There was the temple tax that they hated so much in Nazareth as they were... Uh, that they weren't that close, but they were being taxed anyway. And then they were also being taxed to build Tiberias and Caesarea and uh, Sephoria and all these Roman places. And we're not Roman, but you're taxing us anyway. And then you get down into Judea part down here, and we're being taxed again to take care of the temple and upkeep of uh, Herod and all this stuff. And we don't like the we don't like taxes anyway. <laughs> this time of the year. <laughs> but the deal was most of them were itinerant so they didn't know how, what the actual tax was number one so he didn't know how, what, how much the tax was number two it was up to the tax collector to actually assess the amount of tax because everything they could collect over what they had to give back to the Romans was theirs that was their, that was their operating capital that was their interest and depending on the uh, person, it might be bigger, and it might, it might be uh, more uh, graft involved, okay? Now, the other problem, so, so not only did they not know how much tax was being collected, but they did know enough that Zacchaeus was doing quite well. He was one of the wealthier guys in town. So we know that much. Now, not only though was he short, but there is a problem here. And that is that he was Jewish. Tax collectors were traditionally Jewish, which means if you're working with Rome and you're charging big time taxes to give money back to Rome, that makes you a collaborator. And collaborators were not real popular. Um, there, there are stories, sometimes I've, I've seen it in, in World War II. Uh, as the Allied forces came through France and Belgium and they, and they would liberate uh, towns from the Nazis. Nazis were now driven out. The people would do two things. One, they would celebrate the incoming allies that are coming and liberated the town. The next thing they do is they would then hunt down the collaborators. Oftentimes these were women 
that were uh, sleeping with uh, German soldiers and they would cut all their hair off and beat them. Collaborators were and, and have always been seen kind of as turncoats and nasty kind of people and that would certainly fit for Zacchaeus. So for him, if he's, the, if he's rich and he's the chief tax collector and he's short and there's a large crowd walking through Jericho, how safe is that for Zacchaeus? It's not. Uh, let me tell you about the Sicarii. The Sicarii are, are beginning right about now in Judea. The Sicarii have sometimes been called in Latin, this means the daggermen. Uh, and what would happen is they, they were kind of the, uh, the first century uh, terrorists. And what they could do is they would take one of these, one of these knives, and that's a pretty good uh, modern rep representation of the ancient uh, Sicarii knife. And you could easily hide that in your robe. And then they would get to like a festival, maybe like the Feast of Tabernacles or Passover, and, and the crowds are really big and everything. And you could easily come up behind one of the collaborators. Not, they weren't using these on Romans. They were using these on collaborators. And you could easily come up in a crowd, pull out your knife in a crowd, and stab them. Turn the knife a little bit for maximum destruction and then put it back in your robe again and then go, oh my gosh, he's been stabbed. Oh no, and so we should find whoever did this. You know, it's kind of a daddy ant and robber kind of thing. They could easily, with impunity, move in and out of crowds and kill collaborators that were collaborating with the, with the Romans. Okay, that is the very thing that Zacchaeus was in danger of being either beaten or attacked or, or even stabbed or killed in a crowd. So it would make sense if you're short, but you're also kind of your life is in danger as you're walking around, what would you do? How do you make sure you stay safe? Well, exactly. Okay, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree that he could see because Jesus was about to pass there. That, by the way, in Jericho, that is, by tradition, that's, that's Zacchaeus's sycamore tree. Uh, probably not so much because it's in the middle of town. Uh, part of the deal that goes, and this is, this is just trivial knowledge if you want to maze your friends. So, um, the, the idea that it's a sycamore tree is kind of important because uh, in, in these small towns, uh, a village was seen as a beautiful village if it has no trees in it. We always think, well, we put trees in towns to make them pretty. Back then it's like, no, a clean town center doesn't involve trees. Where do you put some, so you might have some fig trees that are short, but not sycamore trees. Specifically sycamore trees, there were ordinances that we find in the uh, Babylonian Talmud that talks about the sycamore tree must be like at least 50 yards outside the city boundaries. Because you don't want to have a big old sycamore tree dirtying up your town center. So literally they have now passed 
through, Jerusalem, through Jericho and Zacchaeus to protect himself and to be able to see because he's short. He actually climbs to the, into a sycamore tree so that he can look down and keep himself safe and, and see Jesus coming through. But it tells us that they've already passed through Jericho. That's one of the ways that we know. They've, he's just kind of insulted the whole town he's leaving. <laughs> okay, on his way to Jerusalem. Now, as he came to that place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, climb down quickly. Okay, stop. How come Jesus would know his name? You know, and you could say, well, he, Jesus was omni-knowledgeable. He, he would just know everybody's name. Okay, what's more, what's more probably true? How would he know Zacchaeus' name? He's infamous. He would be infamous and? A disciple. Well, not necessarily a disciple. The blind man told him? <laughs> Maybe the blind man told him. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, I recognize that voice. <laughs> no. The crowd would have seen Zacchaeus first. Wait, there's Zacchaeus. He's uh, Zacchaeus. Okay. You know, in other words, as they're walking through, they look up and there's movement in the tree. And so really what Jesus is walking up on in all likelihood is that they've got this polecat up the tree. <laughs> and they are hurling all kinds of uh, interesting comments towards, because he's, he's a rich, dignitary kind of guy. And he's up a tree. Oh man, tell me that wouldn't invite all kinds of comments. And it would be as colorful and it would be as inventive as you think it might be. Okay? And so they're, they're really kind of attacking him. So, and, they're, and they're moving ahead of him. So by the time Jesus gets there, it's probably a bit of a mob scene almost. If you can picture that. And they're up there and they're just waiting for him to get down. Yeah, we've been waiting for you a long time. Come on down. Okay? That's, in all likelihood, what's occurring here. Okay? So, this is one of those moments when I think Jesus changed his mind. Because, he's going to look up. He comes across this scene. Jesus looked up what quickly. Zacchaeus, climb down quickly because what? Today, I'm going to stay at your house. Now, I don't care if you're a poor man or if you're a dignitary. You don't walk into a small town and invite yourself to dinner and lodging. You just wouldn't do that. That Talk about breaking all convention. But in the middle of this cra crowd yelling and Jesus says... Oh, Zacchaeus, I was going to keep on going towards Jerusalem, but tonight I'm going to stay in your house. We will sup with you, and we will sleep with you. Wow. Well, that's... How many, how many uh, traditions are we breaking here all at once? <laughs> if this is a collaborator, just by him eating at his house. Now we're going back to the scene we were talking about last week in Capernaum. This man does what? He sups, he eats, he has table fellowship with Gentiles. tax collectors 
and sinners. And Zacchaeus covers the bill. And not only that, Jesus is saying, well, I'm not doing it at my house. I'm doing it at your house. So I'm going to go eat at your house. That, think about the effect that would have on the crowd. Wait, we had this banquet at, at the synagogue waiting for you. You walked through town, and now you're going to stay the night with him? Well, that just, that's mind-blowing. Okay? So, I'm going to, I must stay at your house. Oh, okay. Saved his life. And he hurried and climbed down and welcomed him while rejoicing. I have to think so. Okay, so on the spur of the moment, come to my house. Uh, now, is there a banquet? Yes, there is. There's always a banquet. There's always a celebration at the return of a sinner. And, and it's implied here, if you, if you understand kind of the, the culture. And when the people saw this, they all murmured, saying, He went in to be a guest with a man who is a sinner and a tax collector. We're back. You know, Luke, Luke just four chapters earlier, really went after that in, in Luke 15. And now suddenly we're getting again in Luke 19. He's making sure we really know this. Okay? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, stop. Okay. You have to, you have to put this in context. Um, at what point is he going to stand up and say something to the Lord? He's invited him. Think of the process. He's up the tree. Jesus says, come down. Great, I'm going to eat at your house. So then what are they going to do? They're now going to go to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus will then do what? Provide the banquet. And we're all going to recline. And we're going to be sitting and we're having this dinner. And think the last supper is like a week away. So I think it's just fascinating. He's going to have this supper with Zacchaeus. Now, this is a little bit like you think about the times when you go to weddings and things like that. Everybody eats. And then what happens? As, that, as the eating is winding down, what's the, now required at our weddings and our receptions? There's what? Somebody says something. There's a speech. There's a speech. There's a toast. Okay? And that would certainly be the case. After everybody has reclined, you've washed his feet, you've made him comfortable, you've provided him food. Then as the food is winding down, now it's, now it's required for the host to stand up and make a, make, make a dramatic speech. And this would be Zacchaeus' job, to now do the speech to the people. And by the way, people listening on the outside... They're watching this whole thing and the disciples and everybody. So this is, this is Zacchaeus' speech. He's Give him a microphone. This is his moment. What does he do? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my belongings I give to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone in anything, I give it back fourfold. Okay, now, uh, not really. <laughs> not really. In Near Eastern culture, at this moment, if you're, if you're going to stand up and pontificate, what are you going to do? 
you're going to exaggerate a little bit. There's no way that he's this rich, but he continually gives away half of his income to the poor. Ain't no way. But what he was really saying is, I try to be generous, and that, and that is probably true. So this part, I try to be generous, Lord. I'm going to do fourfold. No, no, you're not giving away half. You're just, you're just, you're being, you're being Middle Eastern. <laughs> this is the greatest deal in all of the world. You, or, or you can go into Jerusalem and say, no, we have a little bit of the cross. You can have this <laughs> for a price. <laughs> you know, it's just that kind of that kind of that mentality. So he's not doing that, but. The second part is fascinating. He's, he tries to be generous, and I believe that that's true, and it might be that uh, the blind man who now sees might have been, yeah, he's actually giving me money. He, that's possible. But the second part, and if I have cheated anyone in anything, I give it back fourfold. The way that that tends to read in most of these early documents is that this isn't talking about the past. This is talking about the future. What you're now watching is repentance. I've been given, I've been tried, tried to be generous, but now with, with them as my witness and you as my witness, who has, has extended to me the grace of coming into my house. I didn't deserve it, I'm a sinner. Um, but you have come into my house, you have been gracious, you've been kind to me. And this is his moment where he says, Now, if I have cheated anybody, and I may have, I will now give it back at 20% interest. That is far and beyond what would be required by the law of Moses. I will make amends, is what he's saying. Repentance is, you're watching repentance happen. Now, costly grace. What's costly grace for Zacchaeus? This is, this is a, a life change. Now, will it be accepted by the town? Who knows? We, we get all of these stories. But we never really kind of always get the end part. Okay? What's the Savior's response to this heartfelt repentance in front of a town audience at this banquet? Jesus said to him, Today, salvation, think what word? Sozo. Healing. Today, healing has come to this house. Because even he, so he, he's not addressing Zacchaeus. Who's he, who's he talking to? The crowd. Today salvation has come to this house because even he, even he, the collaborator, the tax collector, even he is a son of Abraham. And then he's going to sum up what he's about to, in the morning, he's about to, to walk that road. Um, Palm Sunday is coming. So this is probably like Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. Salvation has come to this house and the Son of Man 
came to seek out and sozo, save the lost. You saw it with the, the least in town, and now you're seeing it with the greatest on the other side of town. The Son of Man has come to save both, the oppressed and the oppressor. I, I just think that buttons it up in a very powerful, powerful sort of way. Okay? All right, we have 15 minutes. Gonna go, okay. Oh, let me add Elder Holland's comment to this. You can change anything you want to change and you can do it very fast. This is a talk he gave in 1980 actually, I was there. It is another satanic falsehood to believe that it takes years and years and eons to eternity to repent. It takes exactly as long to repent as it takes you to say, I'll change and mean it. Of course, there will be problems to work out and restitutions to make. You might well spend, indeed you had better spend, the rest of your life proving your repentance by its permanence. But change, growth, renewal, repentance can come to you as instantaneously as it did to Alma and the sons of Mosiah. Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> but, but then we repent sometimes and then we fall. And then people say, well, you didn't repent. And then I repent again. <laughs> I repent again and then I move, then I change. Uh, the, this, this costly grace, what it costs us, oftentimes is that we're not going to get it right at first. It's the transformation of chipping away at it and trying to change um, and, and recognizing the grace we've received. Okay? Alright. We'll try and do this quickly. We're probably another time going to give a, a little fuller account of this, but I want to do it in this setting because I want you to see kind of how the kind of finish with this. this we're going to go back to Luke 5. Well, that picture didn't come out very well, did it? And it came to pass that as Jesus stood near the shore of Lake Genezaret, Sea of Galilee, he was pressed on by a crowd who sought to hear the word of God. This is the call of this is the call to Simon Peter. Now, with all due respect to church videos and other videos that I've seen made. Uh, we have kind of this solitary Christ who walks up and there's Peter working in his boat and he's going to call him to the ministry. I will make you fishers of men. Uh, this is, that's not the way Luke tells the story. By, by this time he's already healing people. There, he, this is early in his ministry but he's been working in, around um, Capernaum and Tiberius, and he is well known. And Nain, that's all happening. When he walks up to the Sea of Galilee, where Simon is working on his boat, he has a massive entourage behind him. Uh, he has already healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law, like the week before. And he's going to show up, and notice what he does. He was pressed on by a crowd who sought to hear the word of God. Now, 
Jesus is going to do this. And he saw two boats near the shore, but the fishermen had departed and were washing their nets. It's been a long night and a fruitless night. And he entered one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to push back a little way from the land, and he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. <laughs> to uh, Zacchaeus, he said, you know what? I'm going to spend the night in your house. You can host me. What did he just do with Peter? <laughs> I'm going to climb in your boat. We're over here on the net. What? You know, wait, I th this guy was at my house last week, and he climbs in the boat. Peter! Simon! Uh, I'm going to borrow your boat. <laughs> asked, asked him, so no, Simon's got to actually get in and pushed back a little way from the land and he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Makes a nice little amphitheater across the water. Okay, and the people are on the shore. It's kind of a rocky shore and he's, they're all there. He's in the boat and poor Simon, you know, unless he's got a little anchor, he's got to kind of keep rowing this thing to keep it from not flipping around, you know, and keep it there. Okay, so he's going to teach and where's Simon through the whole thing? In the boat, listening to him. Just masterful. <laughs> but this is one of those times when Jesus has a tendency to say, I will serve you by having you serve me first. I will serve you, Zacchaeus, by you hosting me. I will serve the woman at the well by having her first give water to him. And there's a whole lesson here, probably for another time, about how the Savior chose to serve by having people serve him first. And how what a hard time sometimes we have about letting people serve us. <laughs> but the Savior says... I'm going to let you... What would you have me do? Well, I would like to serve you. Okay. In serving you, I can then bring salvation to you. But you've got to serve me first. And that's what... This is one of those moments. Peter, I'm borrowing your boat. What? And I need you to row out a little bit here. Okay. So he teaches, and we don't have any... The, the real lesson here is not what he taught the people from the boat. Uh... I, I, I apologize for this. You can't see it very well. There is, this is in Magdala. Uh, they have built a Catholic church in here, and the pulpit is a boat. It, it's very cool. Right in front of this is an atrium. There's, you see the glass? Right in front of this is the atrium of women, and there are massive pillars dedicated to the women who served the Savior. Um, We'll, we'll talk about that probably in one of the last classes in May here. But it is interesting that they have this, this uh, pulpit. And the Sea of Galilee is right behind. You can see kind of the water's edge right there. There's the, but this is in Magdala uh, with that. And uh, the Pope has preached from that little pulpit. Okay. All right. So, Grace. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, push out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. Um, we need to understand that at this kind of the, the uh, north 
west corner of the Sea of Galilee is where the tributary waters come into the Sea of Galilee uh, and and the uh, the the shore the the shoals there is where the fish eat and it's and it is uh, shallow and rocky and then it drops into the deep uh, at night the fish come from the deep in and they feed in the shoals near the shore uh, because that's where the nutrients are coming from the from the tributary streams so they they feed on uh, near the shore and at night the fishermen can then go out and lower the nets because it's dark and the fish can't see the net coming down and then they're able to scoop up the fish and pull them in. That's a nighttime activity. You don't do that during the day. Number one, the fish aren't going to be in the, near the shore. Number two, if you are going to lower the nets, they see the net coming and they run away. The fish swim away. Okay, so the the nighttime the, the nighttime fishing is done. They're going to wash their nets coming in from the night, and then they're going to go get some sleep so they can go out tomorrow night. But they didn't have any luck the night before, so they're not seeing a whole lot of fish here. Okay, so when he says push out into the deep and lower your nets, that makes no sense at several points. The fish aren't in the deep. They may be there, but they're going to see the net coming. And this isn't how you get a large school of fish, because that'll happen tonight after dark when they move back into the shore. That's, that's crazy. And he is a fisherman. He owns the boat. He owns a fishing... He, he has partners. So this is a large fishing activity for these guys. The, the, the fisheries are right close by where they take the fish, and then they are salted and prepared. Uh, so Peter is doing well, but he's also smart, and he's gonna. And, and but the Savior is gonna say, "Push out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch." And the word that he uses, uh, he says, "Master," uh, sometimes translated as "teacher," is kind of like uh, a school teacher, uh, non-fisherman guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're what, a stonemason? Uh, I understand you're a stonemason. You do some carpentry on the side here. I'm the fisherman. I know, I know my fish <laughs> and my boat. Master, we have worked the entire night and we have not caught anything. But according to your word, I will let down the net. So they're going to push out into the deep and actually slide the nets down. And I think it's almost like and then we'll, get, we'll be done with this. <laughs> and we'll see that I knew what I was talking about. Okay? <laughs> and when they had done this, they caught a great haul of fish. Their nets were about to burst. And they called. That's what you do. You call to... You, you, you perform kind of missionary work. You're going to call out to the companions and other boats to come and assist. And they came and filled both of the boats. So they began to sink. Okay, this massive catch. This this uh, this catch. By the time they got the fish to the the fishery, this probably would feed their families. Uh, this size of catch probably for a year. I mean, it's that kind of financial boon to to these guys. Absolutely. So one of the side benefits of this grace 
is that his family will be taken care of. We know his mother-in-law is living with him. He might have extended family with him. Okay? Now, listen to Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me because I am a sinful man. I've just received grace. I recognize that I have sinned. Now, let me ask you, what was the cost of grace for Peter? Everything. He got a free gift. And then we know he's going to immediately leave his nets. He'll, he'll, they'll, they'll get the fish, they'll, his family will be taken care of, but he will that, from that day he will follow. The cost of grace for Peter was everything, as it was for Zacchaeus, as it was for the blind man, as it is for us. It's free. It's sozoed. But our cost in terms of our change of our life and the things that the Savior is going to need us to do in terms of our, our time, talents, and everything that the Lord has blessed you. And not only that, anything that He may give you in the future. It's that cost. It's that what is required from us if we would accept His grace. Now, the only way to get out of this is not accept His grace. I stand at the door and knock, and it's up to you whether you open the door. <laughs> But that grace is freely offered, but it comes at the price of our lives, and it comes at the price of His life and His blood at this time of the year. So it's costly grace. It's costly grace. And, and what we see over and over and over is the transformation in the New Testament of these people that were tax collectors and beggars and fishermen who then their lives are altered by this gift. And what are they going to do with it going forward? And, I, and again, I, just, I would finish by saying, and that's our, that's our question. You got the grace. You got a testimony. You're here. What are we going to do with it? <laughs> what do we do in terms of our lives and the things that are expected of us? And that's the hard part. Like, like Cindy says, sometimes we, we try and we, then we fall and then we try again and we fall and we get back up and this transformation is a, is a process, it's a path. It's no accident that the church was called the way. It wasn't like the end. It was called back then the way. It's like we're on this covenant path. We're on this journey to be changed. Uh, and I, I pray that we can do that in, uh, in allowing His grace to alter who we are, transform us into people that can live with Him. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.